not my element, you know. I've, I've been standing next to preachers for about 40 years. Really never paid attention to what they did or how they did it. <laughs> then when you have to do your own, it's like, oh, how do I do an outline? How do I do others? But I'm so surprised to see you here because the pastor warned you last week <laughs> that I was going to be speaking. Uh, I've been here twice as long as Justin has been married. <laughs> this is the second time I'm preaching on a Sunday. I have filled in on Wednesday nights for the pastor, but not, not Sundays. There's just too many other preachers around here, you know. And I, I told Mark, I said, you really should let one of them have a chance, you know. He goes, they're going to have a chance. They're all going to have a chance. So he said, I, I just want our, our church to hear from, from every one of its staff members. And I want you to, to get up and preach. And I said, I said, well, you know, Mark, preaching is like singing. Not everyone who thinks they can do it should. So I just want you to be comforted to know that although Mark's, Mark wants you to hear every one of our staff members preach, I, on the other hand, will not make all of our staff members sing. So you don't have to listen to all of them. I am not much of a preacher, but I'm a pretty good storyteller. And I, I love, love, yeah, you know, my that didn't take long. She got through the door. I, uh, I share stories as illustrations, and I, and I get that from, from, uh, from the Bible because Jesus always used an illustration. He always taught uh, with an illustration, you know, and those were called parables. You know, in the Bible they call them parables. Today we call them illustrations, but the things that Jesus used to help people understand what heaven was like. When you're trying to understand something you've never seen before, he has to relate it to something you have seen before, something you do know. Well, we're going to kind of look at, at, a, at basically an analogy that God gives us all through Scripture today. Today, I want to talk to you about... Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage step is a waste month. Man and wife, sing man and wife. Man and wife. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. <laughs> that was Shay Reiner from the 2017 Valentine Banquet Entertainment by your staff called the Staff Infection. The movie, do anybody know what the name of that movie was? The Princess Bride, that's right, The Princess Bride. Shay, Shay says it's his favorite movie. Well, I'm going to talk to you about marriage. I'm going to talk to you about a wedding, but I'm not going to talk to you about that wedding. I'm going to talk to you about our wedding, and that is the wedding that we should be preparing for. 
All throughout the New Testament, Jesus calls the church his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And we're to be preparing for that marriage. Well, it hasn't come yet. We're actually in what's called the betrothal period, the engagement, you know. Uh, but it is coming. And uh, our job is to get prepared and get ready to meet uh, the groom, the bridegroom when he comes. And he is coming for us. So there are a lot of illustrations throughout Scripture that are overlooked. And we kind of miss the joy of what it means because we don't necessarily know all of the, all of the traditions of the early Hebrew wedding ceremony and their traditions. We miss a lot of it. So when I got into studying it some years ago, I was fascinated with how much of it is throughout the Bible. You know, God created Adam and Eve, and then immediately he has a wedding ceremony. Immediately they are married. Because I guess God said, you know, you can't be running around through the garden naked and not be married. That's not good. So he immediately has a wedding ceremony, but he marries the only man to the only woman, and he puts them together. God arranged the first marriage. And ever since then, the Hebrew following was an arranged marriage. Now, uh, in the ancient Near East, as they arranged these marriages, there was a, a process that took place, okay? The first process was the choosing of a bride. Now, choosing of a bride is an important thing, especially to the groom, right? <laughs> it's a very important thing. But in the, in the early Middle East, this is the way it happened. It was either the father who chose a bride for his son, or sometimes the son himself would see a young lady that he wanted to marry. And then he would go to his father and say, hey, I would like to marry her. Can you, make, can you make that happen? Can you make those arrangements? So then the father would go about making the arrangements for the son to marry uh, that particular young lady. Sometimes in the case where there was no father, if the father had passed on and the young man was alone, it was up to the young, to the young man to make those arrangements himself and go and, and make these arrangements. Well, here's how it would happen. The father would go to the home of the bride. And he would go sit down with the father of the bride. So the two fathers are sitting down together. And he would negotiate a price to be paid for the bridegroom to marry his daughter, the bride. And when they came to terms on this price and what this was going to be, then they would invite the bride in. And she would come in, and the father would explain to her, you're going to be marrying this man's son, and he's going to be paying us this much money for my precious daughter's hand in marriage. And uh, are you in agreement with that? And the bride actually got to, to put the final yes or no on the decision. What's interesting is that she never got to pick her groom. She only got to accept his proposal or refuse his proposal. And so if she accepted it, well, then it was a done deal, okay? In this same analogy, in this analogy, you can see how God has chosen us 
as the bride of Christ. God has chosen you, chosen us to be his bride. Okay? Doesn't that make you feel special? That God would choose you amongst all the others? And then at the same time, you'll notice the bride didn't go hunting for a groom. The groom came to her. And it was up to her to accept the proposal. It is up to us to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. He says, I've chosen you. Here's how you can trust me. But it's up to you to accept me. And that is, how, that is part, of, part of the symbolism in there is that we accept Jesus Christ just as the bride would accept her groom's proposal. Um, you'll see in um, John chapter 15, verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that should, be, should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I have chosen you. We are God's chosen bride for his son, Jesus Christ. We also see the price that God negotiated for the bride of Christ. It's going to cost the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus Christ paid the price for his bride. Fascinating. After the father finished negotiating and the plans were made and the, and the uh, bride was part of the agreement, they sat there at the table and they made arrangements for what was called the marriage covenant. Okay, now the marriage covenant, it is, a, it is part of the civil law of the early Hebrews. I mean, it's, it's part of the civil law. They literally wrote down on, you know, what, who was, what was expected from each one and it was like a, a marriage contract. It was part of the agreement. I will do this and you will do that and we will be together. And that covenant, that uh, marriage covenant was a very important part of the arrangements that were made. To establish the covenant, the bridegroom would then leave his father's house and go to the bride's house and there he had to pay the purchase price for her. He would pay that purchase price for her first. Jesus did that very thing when he came here to our house and he paid the price for us on Calvary. You see that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 prophesies about it. Chapter 31 verse 31 through 33 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The covenant that he's talking about that is new is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The old covenant was the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant, which could not be kept by the people. They could not keep the law. And aren't we glad that we are not dependent on keeping laws? Because history shows nobody can do it. We're not dependent on that marriage contract. We're dependent on this new marriage covenant. And that is this covenant that he has prepared for us. 
Verse 32 says, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. Within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Those are wedding words. That's wedding covenant agreement. I will be your husband, and you will be my wife, and we will work together. And I will serve you with all of my heart, and you will serve me with all of your heart. And the, what is written in our hearts is written there today by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, that is the seal of that covenant being made with us. Then they enter into what's called the betrothal period. Now, this is the engagement, okay? After the father of the bride and the bridegroom had come to an agreement on the marriage and all of that, and the purchase price had been paid, um, then what would happen um, the, in the ancient Near East, the betrothal was, like I said, considered a binding marriage. From the moment that contract was accepted, we use the term engaged. They would use the term betrothal or betrothed. But the difference is, to us, engagement means I'm going to be married to somebody in the future. To them, it means I'm already committed to marriage. And it was like I'm already married. And she was to act as though she was already married and she was considered already married to the groom. But what would happen is he would then leave the, father's, the father of the bride's house and the groom would go home and he would begin uh, working at home to prepare a place for her. Okay. Now, once he left, here's the, here's the killer. It might be six months to two years before he comes back to see her. Any of you ever have a long-distance relationship? My wife and I, we dated for two years, and then we got engaged, and we were engaged for two years. But after our first year of dating, the last three years, I went away to college. I went to Chicago, and she was left behind in my hometown of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the telephone bills about broke my dad. <laughs> Gene would write me a letter every day, and I would open it and read it, and I'd be so moved I'd pick up the phone and call her right then. <laughs> Wasn't as good a writer as she was. But he would leave, and he would be gone for a long time. A long time. And while he was gone, he was preparing a place for her. But just as Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Let me tell you what the typical uh, Hebrew house was like. Here's what it looked like. It usually started off, it always started off with the father's house, okay? Usually it was a two-room house with a living area and one bedroom. And there was a wall built around a courtyard where the animals were kept and cooking was done over a fire. There were no windows open to the front of the house, just the front door. And that was for a safety measure. Well, then his sons, one by one, as they got married, would attach their house to their father's. 
And a very fortunate father was one who had enough sons to enclose the whole courtyard. And then the sons would have sons. And they would get married. And before long, the father's house was a giant compound of houses. But there was still one door. To get to any of their houses, they had to go through the father's house. There were no exterior windows around any of that compound. It was for safety and protection. It kept out thieves. So the only thing that had to be guarded to keep everybody safe was the door. Today, we leave home, we lock our door, we lock the doorknob, we lock the boat lock, we put the guard dog inside the house, <laughs> we turn on the burglar alarm, we open our phone app so we could see all of our home cameras to make sure everything's okay and that the dog's not ripping the couch up. <laughs> they had one door to keep up with, and it was the father's front door door. All of the windows in the house opened into that courtyard and all of their houses and all opened into those courtyards and it was one big happy family all together. One huge house. There used to be a song years ago called um, I can't remember the title of it but it was like my, uh, my father's house. It's a big big house with lots and lots of rooms. You ever heard that song? It's called Our House. Our house was a big, big house. was a big, big house and with lots and lots of rooms. And that's what it means. That's what the Father's house is all about. In this analogy, describing heaven as a place prepared that Jesus Christ has prepared for his bride, the church, John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3 says this, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I, you know, would I, have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He said, what I have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you if it wasn't so. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is saying, it might be a long time before you see me again, but I'm busy. And when you do, I have a place for you. And I'm ready for you. Jesus also identifies himself as the one and only door. That door is the protection of the whole family. It's the safety. And he identifies himself in John 14, verse 6. He says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. But the only way is through who? Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. There was another tradition that I thought was kind of interesting, and that is the tradition of the friend of the bridegroom. In the Hebrew day, the bridegroom chose a very loyal friend to prepare the bride for the wedding, and he would accompany her toward the end of the betrothal period. This was like the best man. And this best man would go and camp out next to the bride's house toward the end of this betrothal period. And he served as a warning sign. Hey, look out. It's not long. 
the groom has sent me. It won't be long. He's fixing to come. He's getting ready. But part of his job was to make sure the bride was prepared. He said, okay, have you got your dress? Have you got your flowers? Have you got, <laughs> have you got your bridesmaids? Do they have their dress? Do they have their, have their flowers? Do they have their lamps? Do they have this? Part of his job was to be sure that the bride was completely ready and prepared. And he stayed there. He stayed there until finally the groom would arrive. And when the groom would arrive, he would always come with shouting and cheering to behold the bridegroom cometh. And that is when he, when he heard that he was coming, he would get up, pack his tent up, and he would stand there by the door of the bride's house. And when the groom came around the corner, over the hill, whatever it was, to where he first saw her house, there stood his best man, his friend, who had helped her get prepared and made sure she was ready for him. John the Baptist was Jesus' friend of the groom. John the Baptist. John chapter 3 describes John the Baptist as the friend of the groom who rejoiced because he heard the bridegroom's voice when he, saw, when he heard Jesus preaching. John chapter 3, verse 28 and 29 says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist served as his, his best man. I never saw that until I understood the traditions and understood what the best man's job, job was. Today, his job is to show up and hand you a, a ring. I mean, that's about it, right? It was altogether different for them. The father of the bridegroom also has another big responsibility. He decides when the bridegroom will go get his bride. Not the groom. The father decides. All right, the bridegroom would be working on his house. He'd get his house finished. And just about time he got it finished, people started asking, when are you going to get her? When are you going? And you know what he would have to say? He would say this, no man knows the day or hour, only the Father knows. Because it was the Father who decided. Because as the Son got his house finished, the Father was preparing a big feast. And so it was the Father who had even more to prepare, get ready for this. He had to get the food ready, he had to get the place ready. And then he would send out the invitations to warn his, his guests that the wedding is about to happen. And so the father had a lot to do, and it was all the father's responsibility. So the father would send the bridegroom to go get his bride. In the same way, Jesus says, no one knows the time or the hour. I think it's Mark chapter 13, verse 32 says that. Matthew 24, 36 says that. Uh, but concerning the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Not the son. Jesus says, I don't know. It's not my responsibility. I'm the groom. It's the father's responsibility. 
So the father would say, now's the time, go. Well, then the next thing that happened was the groom would go, and it was an unannounced arrival. The Jewish bridegroom would go send for his groomsmen. They would show up, and they would go to the bride's house in a big parade. And as they were going, you know, children would go ahead of them, announcing, he's coming, he's coming. And it became a parade, and they would blow horns and trumpets and things. And it was a big, big deal. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come for his bride just like that. He will come unannounced. Matthew 24, 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, just as we read. No one's going to know. Only he's going to know. It's going to be an unannounced. But when he comes, he comes with an escort, and he comes with a shout. The groom would summon all of his groomsmen, and they would come, and they'd be shouting. In the same way, when Jesus comes... He's going to have an escort. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel. The archangel is coming. And the archangel is going to be shouting. And the trumpet's going to blow. And the sound of the trumpet. That is the announcement to the church that the groom is coming. Then another thing that kind of was common was this. It was an outside summonsing. There was an outside summons. The groom would arrive and stand outside. He would not go into the bride's house, but he would summon her from outside and say, Come out, I am now here. He never went into her house. In the same way, when Jesus returns for his bride, he does not come to the earth. He stops in the sky, and he calls his bride up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then the procession started back to the groom's house. And this was a long ordeal, big procession all the way back. Big festivity. Lots of music. They were playing music, and musicians were playing music and singing, and they was dancing all the way back to the house. And once they got to the house, they would walk through the father's front door, walk into the house, and then into the groom's house. And when they got into the groom's house, here's what would happen. Only the bridesmaids and the groomsmen were allowed into the groom's house, and the door would be shut and nobody came in, nobody went out for seven days. And the bride and the groom would go into their bridal chamber. And outside their bridal chamber was their uh, wedding party. And the consummation of their wedding took place when they had sexual union for the very first time. That is the mark of marriage in God's eyes. In the Bible, it's when the sexual act happens. In other places where adultery is condemned and fornication is condemned by God, it's, it's stated, do you realize you're marrying those people? You are actually committing to them in an act of marriage. The sexual act was that act. Then the bridesmaids and the groomsmen took care of the bride and groom for a whole week. Brought them food, brought them drink, took care of them for the whole week. And they were called the king and queen. They were considered a king and queen and taken care of. It was constantly in the hands 
of the, bride, uh, of the bridesmaids and the groomsmen to take care of them for a whole week. Now, while this is going on for a whole week, I mean, how many of you have been invited to a, a wedding here in the past month or two? Any of you been invited to a wedding? Ridgecrest has had four weddings in the past three weeks. Three of them in here, one of them in the prayer chapel this past week. Four weddings. And most people say, oh, no, i got to go to a wedding on Saturday. That's going to tie up my whole afternoon. Seven days. You want to go to a wedding for seven days? <laughs> Hello? It was a big event. You came and you stayed, and everybody stayed in the father's house. Well, where did they sleep in that little tiny house? No, they slept out in that big courtyard. You've got to remember where they are. They would just, I mean, and it was a common thing. They celebrated until they all just couldn't stay awake no more, and they just laid down and rolled out their little mat and went to sleep right there, wherever they were, and they used their clothes and their robes to cover up, and people stayed. It was a big, big event. But once they went into that bridal chamber and that door was closed, Nobody was allowed in anymore for seven days. In this analogy, you see that heaven is like that. Heaven is like that. There's coming a day when the door closes and no one else is allowed in. You'll see in Matthew 22, verse 4, Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. It's time to show up. It's time to get there. There's going to be a summoning. Verse, uh, Matthew 25, verse 10 says, And while they went to buy, this is the bridesmaids, who, uh, this is a, another story about the bridesmaids who was unprepared. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came and that they were, uh, were the bridegroom came and that they were ready, went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. She was left out. She didn't get there in time. Left out. She was unprepared. He is coming, and we have to be prepared. Well, during this seven-day wedding feast that would take place, all the guests would arrive and everything. On the seventh day, the groom would open the door, and he would come out and present to the world his bride. And he was so excited to present her. And the word that's used there to present the bride is the word that's used in like for pride of his bride is the word that's translated glory so the bride so the groom would bring her out in all of her glory and he was so excited to have her as his bride and present her to the world jesus is coming and he's going to take his bride and he's going to take us to his house and he's going to shut the door not for seven days, for seven years. We call it the tribulation. Because if you are left outside that door, you are in tribulation. And in heaven, the wedding takes place. At the end of those seven years, the door comes open. And that's when Jesus comes back to the earth with his bride in all her glory and he presents her to the world and we begin the great festivity and the marriage feast takes place in heaven to celebrate
this great marriage. It's a very important thing. After Jesus and his, has comes back and he presents her and everything, you have to understand there are other people who attend a wedding, aren't there? Right? There's guests. Well, that was the father's responsibility. Well, who are going to be the guests for us? The guests are all of the Old Testament saints who have gone on before us. They'll be there for that great event, but they're not the bride. They are the guests. Yes, they inherit heaven. You know why we are the bride? Because we live in an era of faith. We didn't see miracles happen in order for us to believe. We didn't see the dead resurrected in order for us to believe. We believe in Christ through faith, and our faith has saved us. We are his bride because we trusted him. It gives us that special place. So when we get to the end of all this, where is it? It's like this. Whose wedding are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to yours and to mine. It is our wedding. We were chosen. You were bought with a price. A place has been prepared for you. Here's the question. Have you prepared yourself for him? Or did you just think once you got saved, you're done? We have a responsibility as a bride to prepare ourselves with righteousness, with service, with commitment. We prepare ourselves by learning all we can about our groom. Can you imagine getting engaged to somebody you don't know and you've got a year and a half to learn everything you can about them before you're married to them? That was the way it happened for them. For us, we have this period to get to know Christ. The final illustration that he uses is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13. It's a long story, but it is uh, the story that I, I've shared with you. I'm going to skip to verse 7. It talks about the virgins who were, who were preparing to go with the bride. They were the bridesmaids. Verse 7 says, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps because the bride had arrived, the groom had arrived. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are, gone, are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us all, for us, uh, and you go and rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Verse 11, Afterwards, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, open unto us. But, the answered, but they answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. They were left out. Don't be unprepared. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. And the last thing is this. Don't be left out. If you are here and you've never had a time in your life when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are about to be left out. Today can be your day to trust Him as your Savior. Ask Him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. And He will. And your name is now off of the guest list. You're not on the guest list. You're now the bride. You're part of the bride. 
Is it not fascinating what God has done to prepare for us? Well, today as we, as we uh, sing our invitation hymn, I'm going to ask Rodney to stand down here. And if the Lord's impressed you in some way to share some kind of commitment with him that you want to do today, maybe the Lord's impressed you that, you know what, I need to be getting prepared and I'm not, and I need to make a commitment to God that I'm going to start to prepare. If you want to share that with Rodney, he'll be down here. Maybe you want to know more about how you can trust Christ. You can do that today by coming right down here. We'll both be here and be glad to share with you about that. Let's pray together. Father, we give you this day, and we thank you for your word and for your truth and how we look into it. We see how all the way through it you have written and showed us how the wedding is all a part of your plan and that you've wanted us to be together for eternity. You, you picked our name and you chose us even before we were born to be a part of your bride. Thank you for that great choice. Thank you for giving us now the opportunity to live at this time and in this era where we can be a part of the bride. Help us to be prepared. Help us to trust in you. And help us to look forward to the day we hear the shout, the day we hear the trumpet. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.